0: Let's turn to First uh, Peter 2, if you don't mind doing that, where Jim read for us a few minutes ago. First Peter 2, it's good to see you and hope you are doing, doing really well. You are a preacher, whether you know it or not. If we allow the scriptures to define that word for us, everybody in here who's a follower of Jesus Christ is a proclaimer. That's going to be our emphasis for the next little while. You don't have a choice about whether or not you proclaim. The choice that you have is what you proclaim, not if you proclaim. I think it's pretty important to acknowledge that because uh, though we wouldn't say this, to an extent we sometimes fall into the trap of having a, like a, a, a layperson-clergy kind of distinction, whereas clergy do things on stage and laypeople people do other things, you know. Uh, I don't think that's the way it's supposed to be. Though I do understand, I think all of us understand, there are things that preachers do that not everybody's going to do. Acknowledging that, however, doesn't mean that there's not a role of proclamation to everybody. So we're going to think about that for a little while this morning. Proclaim. What does it mean to be pre who proclaim? All right, that text, 1 Peter 2 Jim read for us a few minutes ago. I just want you to notice a couple things here, and then we're going to leave 1 Peter 2 and come back to it in a little while. But 1 Peter 2, verse 9, you are a chosen race, a, here's our emphasis today, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. So four descriptive phrases there. But then you've got the verb, that you may, the purpose verb, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So our word this week is proclaim. So I'm interested in how Peter's using this. You are people who proclaim. Proclaim. What in the world does he mean? You know, one of the things, one of the very important things about reading the Bible is when you read a word or a phrase or an idea, a concept in the New Testament, it helps to interpret that word, concept, or idea over against the Old Testament backdrop because... These people didn't have New Testaments. You know, they didn't have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They didn't have the other letters uh, that Paul wrote. They, they didn't have all that. So when they heard this, when Peter wrote this to them, they would have understood it in the they would have looked at it through the lens that they had, which was the Old Testament scriptures, the Hebrew Bible, the first 39 books of the Bible, you know? That's how they would have read it. So here when we read that they are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, and then he says, and these identities lead you to proclaim, we're going to do this for the next few minutes, we're going to say, that. we're going to ask this question, okay, what does it mean for them to proclaim, and how is that proclamation informed by the identity markers that he's given them in the first part of the verse? And in order to do that, we're going to go to the Old Testament because that's what they would have done. So we're going to do the same thing. We're going to go back to Exodus chapters 33 and 34. And I hope you will go there with me because I'm going to read you a couple verses here that will be helpful to you. Again, just keep in mind where we're going. We're going to circle back starting at 1 Peter 2. We're going to end at 1 Peter 2. But in order to understand what he's talking about, we've got to do some Old Testament work first. And so in, in uh, Exodus 33 and 34, there's a story that's told that's going to help us a lot. Here's the background of this chapter of Exodus 33 and 34. The background of this is God had sent Moses down to Egypt. He was going to lead them out of Egyptian slavery. This is the first part of Exodus. He called, he called Moses. He said, I want you to go down to Egypt. I want you to lead the people out of captivity. And after a number of things happened, God did that. Uh, he sent these powerful plagues on the nation of Egypt and, uh, and, and he used Moses to lead them out. Tenth plague, Pharaoh said go. They came to the Red Sea, they, they were trapped, and God parted the waters, they crossed over on dry land. Immediately after they crossed over the Red Sea they went into the wilderness and God brought them to a place called Mount Sinai. Now this is pretty familiar territory for a lot of folks, you know, they go to Mount Sinai, God says, all right you people camp around the mountain, don't come too close, prepare yourselves, you got to do all this, but don't come too close to the mountain because I'm coming down. I'm coming down. I'm descending on the mountain, and you don't need to be too close to that. So he does that. Moses and Joshua go up on the mountain. This is Exodus 19, Exodus 20. And God gives the Ten Commandments, the Ten Words. He writes with his own finger on these two tablets of stone. Uh, don't have any other guys before me, don't make any graven images and all that, the ten words, as well as God also gives the law of Moses and various sorts of regulations. The purpose of that law, this is important for us to understand, the purpose of that law was to help the people to know this is how we must live in the presence of a holy God because you don't just flippantly walk before God. He's holy and you live a certain kind of way. So God gave that to them. Now, in the middle of all this, or near the end of it, um, God says to Moses, you probably ought to go down because the people are up to no good. While they were up there, while Moses and Joshua were on top of Mount Sinai, the people got impatient, and they got whatever. I don't know exactly what was going through their mind, but they said, we don't know where Moses is. We don't know what in the world he's doing, and we don't really know God that well. you know." And uh, so let's do this. Let's build us a golden calf, a golden image that we can worship. And so so they did that. Aaron crafted it for them and they got this golden calf. And they engaged in this big, big party of some sort. So Moses and Joshua, sorry, we're getting to Exodus 33 and 34. Moses and Joshua come down off the mountain and Moses is furious. He takes the two tablets, he throws them down, breaks them, grinds them up into powder, puts them in the water, makes them drink it. Now, all this stuff happens. God sends a plague among the people. People die. It's an ugly thing, okay? Now, after this, here's an important part of this story. After this, God said to the people, He said, I don't think you guys can dwell in my presence because you are rebellious, and I am perfectly holy, and I'm afraid that my holiness would overwhelm you and destroy you. So, here's what you're going to do. You're going to go to the land of Canaan, and I'm going to send an angel with you, but I'm not going. You're on your own. Well, not completely on your own. You got an angel. That, that's important. But I'm not going with you because I would destroy you because you are unholy and you, you you aren't serious about this. So that creates this interesting situation where Moses has this conversation, very human-like thing. He, ta- he talks to God. Well, the Bible says Moses talked to God like face to face. They had this kind of relationship. So he could talk to God. And Moses essentially says, What? <laughs> you, let, me, let, me, let me get that right. You're going to send us ahead and you're not going with us? You expect me to lead these people, these stubborn, rebellious people, by myself with only an angel to help? You know, is that, is that the way it's going to work? Moses essentially says, I can't do this. That's not, this is not the way it's supposed to happen. And in an amazing thing, God changes his mind and he says, Okay. My presence will go with you. And Moses says this. I need some sort of a confirmation of this because this is scary to me. I want to see, please let me see your glory. That's what he asked for. And so in Exodus 33, first part of chapter 34, God does this amazing thing. And it's just incredible. He he puts Moses in a certain place. He apparently covers him up in some way. And God passes by. He passes by, and then he uncovers Moses' uncovers Moses face, and Moses gets to see, probably what it means is, he gets to see the remnants of God's glory, the, 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 where God was, where he just was. He said, you can't, you can't see me in my glory. You can't see that, but here's what I'll do. And he got to see some sort of the remnants of God. Now, here's where I'm getting at. What happens in that chapter is God, it says God proclaims his name. He says, Yahweh, Yahweh, the Lord, the Lord, who is gracious and kind and forgiving and all these attributes of God. And Moses falls down on his face. He worships God. At the end of Exodus 34, that's why I've got this title on the screen here, Moses and His Shining Face, at the end of this ordeal, this episode, Moses leaves the presence of God, comes back to the people, and speaks the Word of God to them. And his face is glowing, shining. Something about being in God's presence changes your appearance. At least it did with Moses. Now that's the story in Exodus 33 and 34. And and I've got a point I want to make there because we're going back to that question. What does it mean to be a priesthood, a, a, a royal priesthood who proclaims? What does that mean? Well, what we see here in this chapter, these chapters, is that Moses is serving as Israel's priest. This is an important concept for us to make our way to 1 Peter 2. I want you to get this idea. It's a very, very, very important concept to get. Moses is serving as Israel's priest because what he does is he he goes into the presence of God where the people could not go. Moses goes into the presence of God and he represents the people in God's presence and then he leaves the presence of God and he comes back and he speaks the word of God to the people. So what he's doing is he is a liaison, he's a mediator, he's a priest who goes before God as the representative of the people and goes before the people as the representative of God. This is important. So he is drawing the people closer to God and he's drawing God closer to the people. He's trying to bring them together. He's bridging that gap. Right. That is what a priest does. Now, We're going to, I'm going to explore that idea a little bit more, but I want you to see something else here. Exodus 19, we're going to go back just a few chapters, 15 chapters or whatever, 14, 15 chapters. Exodus 19, so I want you to read something. Let me put this on the screen for you. I'm going to read a verse before it actually. This is Exodus 19, 4, 5, and 6. 5 and 6 are on the screen. Verse 4, you yourselves have seen what I did to, to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore... If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests. And a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. And it goes on. You see that? Now notice notice there. You will be a kingdom of priests. You shall be my treasured possession. You shall be to me a kingdom of priests. All right? What does a priest do? Remember, a priest represents the people before God, and a priest goes from the presence of God back to the people to represent God to them. What God is saying to Israel is, that is going to be your role in the world. You are supposed to be a kingdom of priesthood where you you come before me, God says, And then you go to the world. You see that language there in the first part of that? You shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. You know what that means? People who aren't Jewish, who aren't Israelites. You're to be my kingdom of priests among all the peoples. Now stay with me because this is important when we get to 1 Peter 2 to understand this part. Israel was created because they were supposed to take God to the nations, to all the people groups. They were supposed to go before God on behalf of the nations to represent them to God, but then they were to go out to the people and to represent God to the nations. Israel was supposed to bring glory to God by spreading His name in all the world. Now, did they do that? I think you probably know the answer to that question is they didn't do it very well. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a second. But here's, here's the idea. I've already said this in a couple different ways. I want to say it one more time in another way. Priests have two functions. Again, we're making our way to First Peter 2, and when we get there, I'm going, to, I'm going to talk about, okay, this is what this means to the Hoover Church of Christ people here right now. This is how it changes the way you go to work or school, the way you engage people who aren't Christians. All right, But first, we've got to get this idea. Priests serve two roles. One is they, they serve an attractional function, And that is, what they do is, they draw the people closer to God. So they take their sacrifices, and they take those sacrifices to God. They are drawing the people closer to God. They are to be that mediator, very important, an attractional role. But then they also serve a missional role. So once they've come into the presence of God, they've brought the sacrifices of the people to God, you know what they do? The priests leave the presence of God and they go and they speak the word of God to the people. So that's what Israel was supposed to do for the nations. That's what Moses did for the people. That's what priests in the Old Testament system did. They brought the sacrifices to God and then they went out from God to share the word of God with the people. So their idea being, the idea being they represent the people to God, they represent God to the people, they're attractional and missional. They bring closer and they go. That's the idea. It's an important one when we're trying to figure out, okay, what in the world is Peter talking about when he says the church is to proclaim the excellencies of God? Uh, Let me give you one, let me read one passage. You don't have to turn here. You may make a note of it. But uh, Psalm 96, because I want to convince you. I want you to know that this is what Israel was supposed to do. As the priest to the nations, they were supposed to proclaim God to the people. So Psalm 96 says this, Oh, sing to the Lord, a new song. Sing to the Lord, all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless His name. Tell of His salvation from day to day. Listen to verse 3. Declare His glory among the nations. His marvelous works among all the peoples. Israel was was never supposed to be inward focused. They were never supposed supposed to be this insular, this... uh, this kind of group that isolated themselves from the world and didn't have any engagement with the world. That was never their purpose. Now, God did have them separate from the people so that they could learn what it meant to be in relationship with God, but he never intended for them to keep God to themselves. They were to proclaim God to the people by the way they lived and by the words that they said. Psalm 96 shows us that. That's what a priest does. And he says, God says, you are to be a priest to the world. You may be wondering, why does this matter? Remember our question. Our word this week is proclaim. And Peter says the church is to proclaim. And when he says we are to proclaim, he says we are to proclaim as God's royal priesthood. So I'm trying to figure out what does that mean for the church today? And in order to do that, we have to go back and look. Now here's, I'm going to put something up here I want you to see. There's that Exodus 19 passage. Notice what's underlined here. He says, you are my treasured possession. You are, number two, a kingdom of priests. Number three, you are a holy nation. That's Exodus 19. All right, stay with me. Treasured possession, kingdom of priests, holy nations. Does that sound familiar? 1 Peter 2:9. You're a chosen race, talking to the church now. Back then he was talking to Israel, talking to the church here chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now let me make it a little, little clearer here. We're going to put these verses side by side. I want you to notice this. Exodus nineteen five to Israel, God said, you are my treasured possession. 1 Peter 2, 9, Peter says, you, the church, are a people for his own possession." Does that sound parallel to you? Think it does, especially when you put these others down beside him. He says to Israel in Exodus 19, you are a kingdom of priests. And he says to the church, you are a royal priesthood. Royal? What is, royal, what is royalty? That's, that's king language, right? So you see the parallel nature of that. Kingdom of priests, royal priesthood. And then number three, uh, he says you are a holy nation. Peter doesn't change that one at all. He simply says the church is a holy nation. Now do you see what Peter has done? He has taken Exodus 19, words that were originally intended to be spoken to Israel. They were to be a priest to the world. And now he says, you guys, Christians, are that. You are my treasured possession. You are God's kingdom of priests. You are a holy nation so that you might proclaim God's glory, God's excellencies to all the world. Now, we're going to go to 1 Peter 2, if you will, maybe you're already there, or you haven't ever left there, but I'm going to go to 1 Peter 2 now, and we'll finish up in just a few minutes by kind of tying all this together, okay? 1 Peter 2. Christians are a royal priesthood. So he uses all that language. All I've wanted you to see so far is that Peter's using Old Testament language to talk about the church. And when you go back in the Old Testament and you see God created Israel so that they might proclaim him to the nations. And in 1 Peter 2, he says, You guys, the church, are to be the ones who proclaim God's excellencies to the world as priests. And there are two ways that this happens. <clears throat> They correspond to what we've already talked about. Christians are to be attractional. We serve an attractional function as our being, ones who proclaim God's nature to the world. Now look in our text, 1 Peter 2. I want to prove to you that's what, that's what Peter had in mind. Uh, He says what we've already read multiple times, verse 9, but then verse 11, Beloved, Peter, what do you mean by proclaim? How do we do that? Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against the soul. Keep your, here it is, listen closely to this, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good works, your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Do you see that is a priestly function, right? Priests draw the people closer to God. And Peter says, you are a royal priesthood, and one of your functions is to proclaim God's excellencies by drawing people closer to God. Now, let's think about it for a minute, just for a couple minutes. For the church today, we, we're, this is a mess we're in. I mean, we're in a mess. The world's in a mess. It's always been in a mess. But sometimes it's a little clearer than other times, you know? I mean, all this stuff going on, the the, the pandemic, uh, the the racial tension, we've got division on every level in the world today in our our country. We're more familiar with what's going on here, of course. Now, but this is an important time for us. You know, this this matters for us to, to pause for a minute and say, okay, what do we need to be right now? What does the church need to be? How can we perform this function of proclaiming God's excellencies? And like we've talked about multiple times already in the past four months, sometimes, I mean, during bad times, that's an an especially important time for us to proclaim who God is because people need to see it. And sometimes when things are going poorly, people will listen more than they do at other times. So I wanna challenge this church to take this seriously. And to recognize that as God's priest right now in this particular historical moment, for us to take our responsibility as the world's priests, take it seriously, and to ask some questions about how we can live right now to be attractional, for people to see something in us that makes them ask, Man, I am so afraid and I am so confused and I, am, I feel hopeless, but she, something about her is different. That guy I work with, that guy I go to school with, he hasn't handled this like everybody else. He's had a different spirit about him, different attitude, something different there. Do you see that's what priests do? Priests go to the people and they show what God looks like. Moses left the presence of God and he went among the people and his face was shining because that's what happens. When you go to God, you come away from God a different kind of person. You look different, you act different, you talk different. Your, your mindset is different, your attitude is different. And so we go to work, we go to school, we go to the neighborhood, we go on social media and Christians are different from the world because we have been all the mountain with God. And we come down off the mountain and we've got a shining face and we've got a different spirit and a different attitude. That seems like what Peter's talking about there. We are different. We are representing God to the people. Folks, the world is not reading their Bibles a lot. I don't know if you knew that. Biblical illiteracy is at an all-time high in our, in our culture. Not reading the Bible. Not going to church. Church attendance is way down, especially right now. Not going to church not reading the Bible, not listening to a whole lot of sermons like the one I'm preaching, but they are watching you and me. They're listening to us, seeing our social media posts. They're, uh, they're watching our attitudes. They're seeing how Christians respond to pandemics and to racial tension. They're observing. And I'd suggest, suggest to you they're listening to a lot of sermons right now Maybe not this kind, but a different kind. Not going to church, not reading a lot of Bibles, not listening to a lot of public proclamations. But they are listening to a lot of sermons. They are reading a lot of Bibles in a different kind of way because they're reading the Bible that's written in your life, in my life. You know. See, so this is what Peter is saying in First Peter two. He is he is he is saying you proclaim by good deeds, by good deeds. You, this church, is a priesthood. To the Hoover community, not only to our community, but especially to our community, we are a priesthood, and we are supposed to be attractional. We represent God to the people. We've got a shining face to the people around us. Let me apply it in a couple of specific ways. When you go to work, how do you handle the backbiting and the gossip that goes on in the workplace? I know how the world handles it, but but how do we handle it? How how do you handle it when you've got an irrational, unreasonable boss who's just incapable of being satisfied, who's critical? How do you handle that? I know how the world handles it. How do we handle it? How does the world respond to, to racial tension? I know how the world responds to it, but how do we respond to it? How do we engage that? How do we as Christians show to the world hey, we are people of reconciliation, peace, equity, justice. We are are people who go about doing good, you know? How does the world, I know, we, we know how the world does it, but let us be different. Let us be different. Let us speak differently. Let us think differently. Let our attitudes be different. We are proclaiming him, especially in the way we live. Barbara Kingsolver recently wrote a book called The Poisonwood Bible. And in that that novel, she writes about a missionary family, a man, a preacher, who took his wife and four daughters to the Congo back in the 1960s to save the Congo. Couldn't figure out why he didn't have much success. But in his own home, this preacher, this dad, this husband, was irrational, he was abusive, he was... Well, he lived in ways that were so inconsistent with the gospel he was preaching to the Congo. It's no wonder that his wife and daughters developed a hatred for that kind of Christianity that he represented. Because, you know, when people see, when people see a disconnect between something people proclaim and what they proclaim with words and what they live they are, they they recognize it, you know, when, when they see that, when they see that disconnect. So it's it's just important. I know you know this, but it's important for us to be reminded of this. If people know we're Christians. They, they know we're Christians, and they're making judgments about God, whether right or wrong. They're making judgments about God by what they see in us. It works in the home, too. Works in the home. You moms, you dads, you're priests to your kids. You're a priest to them. You represent God to them. I, I've read multiple studies over the years that show that kids' ideas of God are formed first and foremost in what they see in their moms and dads. That's kind of scary, isn't it, to you as mom, to us as moms and dads, that their idea of God will be, at least to a great extent, shaped by what they see in us. We are priests. We, are in the presence of God, we take God to our kids. That's a huge deal. First Peter 3 um, Peter uses the same concept, one chapter after our text, same concept to talk about marriage. And he says that sometimes in churches you have, he, he, he talks about women, particularly women who are married to non-Christian husbands. And he says, 1 Peter 3, that it may be that your, your husbands may be one, that is, they may be converted, without a word. By the way you live. That's what we're talking about, attractional living before people, living as priests in the presence of people who don't know God, our children as they grow up, our our wives, our husbands, our co-workers, people who go to school with us, people who we're friends on social media with, whatever, it's this idea of helping people to see this is what God looks like. That's some pressure on us, but we need to take that pressure and go with it. It's real It's real that people are making judgments about God, not reading their Bibles, not listening to sermon, not going to church a whole lot, but they're reading your Bible, And they're listening to your sermon. They're going to your church, so to speak. You know, that's what they're doing. All right, we don't have time to explore this last one. This is important. I don't want to give this short shrift. But the idea here, um, the missional idea is also there. So it's not just that we live right before the world. We also speak words of truth into people's lives we share verbally the gospel of Jesus. So we help people to see. That creates interest. That, that stimulates this, uh, this, these questions. Oh, man, I wonder what she, what is she religiously? Because she's different. She's got a different attitude. Her face is glowing, you know. But then they ask questions, and the gospel is shared with words. And so it's not just attracting people to the gospel. It is going to people with the gospel. We can do this on mission trips. But, but honestly, this is something that ought to characterize our lives, speaking the gospel in appropriate context and appropriate ways with the right attitudes, to the people that we live with, that we go to work with, that we go to school with, that we know. We live the gospel before them and we speak the gospel to them. We are attractional and we are missional. We, we, we go... We, we try to bring them closer to God, but we also try to bring God closer to them. We try to translate God for them. We try to show them what God looks like. That's what Moses was doing when he came down off the mountain. He glowed with the glory of God in some sense. we got to do that. And then he spoke the word of God to them. So let me close with this. Everybody in here, if you're a Christian, you're a priest. You don't have a choice about that. You are proclaiming. You are. only question is, what are you proclaiming? Claiming hope, grace, beauty, love, peace, all those things that are associated with the name of God. That's what God's people are to be proclaiming by the way we live and by the words that we say. If you're not a Christian this morning, we want to give you an opportunity to give your heart and life to Jesus Christ, to turn away from your past in penitence, to accept the Lord as your Savior. Put Him on in baptism and uh, we would be thrilled to help you with your obedience to Jesus Christ this very day, this very day. Maybe you need to come back and ask for prayers because your life has not reflected that of a Christian. Uh, We'll pray for you. If you need to come, I hope you'll do that. Let's stand. Let's sing this song.